Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, if this is your first time joining us here at Mosaic Church, or perhaps if you've been up at the lake recently, uh, let me just quickly catch you up on what we've been talking about these last few weeks. We're currently in the middle of a series from the book of 1 John called Prove It. And in this series, we've been examining some of the different claims made within the church and then asking for proof to, as to whether or not those claims are true. For example, someone may claim to say that I know God, but does their life back up what they are claiming to say? Somebody else may say that I love or truly love my neighbor, but does the way they live reflect what they are speaking? Do they truly live and love in a way that is sacrificial to those that are around them? You see, the truth is, with the entirety of this message and this series, is that it's very easy to speak one thing with our mouths, but the true evidence lies in our actions and how we respond. And so today, we're actually going to be examining one of a, uh, another area of a crucial area of our faith. In fact, this area that we're going to talk about this morning may be, of all the things that we've talked about, the most crucial to our faith. You might even say that, in fact, all of eternity hangs on this one issue. I'm talking about our eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. As I was studying this week, I was reading a story about a treasure that was worth or could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, or it could be worth zero. You see, recently, just one of Jean-Michel Basquiat's, I had to look up how to pronounce that because it doesn't say, you don't pronounce it the way it looks, one of his paintings recently sold for $110.5 million. It's a lot of money. However, there is an art dealer in Toronto who happens to have a whole bunch of these paintings from this artist. So he's thinking, I'm sitting on a fortune, but there just happens to be one problem with these paintings. There's no way to authenticate whether or not John Michel actually painted them. And unfortunately for this gentleman, you can't actually go ask Jean Michel because he passed away in 1988. And so they're, if they're authenticated then, these paintings could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars if they're real. If they are real, they could be worth a treasure to this owner. However, if they're not real, then they're just simply something that's a bit of a curiosity and comparatively worthless. You have in one hand something that could be priceless, and on the other hand, you have something that could be worthless. And it all hangs on whether or not it is genuine, on whether or not it is real and authentic. Today, I want to talk to you about something in our faith that also is a treasure beyond value, that if proven real, could be something that is priceless to our souls, but if it's not authentic, it could be fake. 
You see, our salvation in Jesus, when we profess our faith in Christ and receive salvation through the Lord, if that is a genuine profession and we are truly saved eternally, where we will spend eternity in heaven with God when we die, that treasure is worth more than all of the crown jewels in the London Tower, all the gold in Fort Knox, and all the investments of Warren Buffett combined, if it's authentic. Because that treasure is certainly something that's more enduring than those things. Unlike a painting or money, it can't be stolen from us, it can't be destroyed, and we can't lose it. And that treasure that we possess in Christ is enduring. We're talking about eternity. Not just a few short years here on earth, but eternal exists in the presence of God. And if we have a genuine faith in Christ, then it stands to reason that our souls are richer than any man who has ever lived on this planet. But if our faith is counterfeit, if our salvation isn't real, then it's worthless. And so today, church, I want to ask you a question. Can I be real for just a moment? Can I be real with y'all? I want to ask a question. You don't have any choices then, the bottom line, but I'm going to be real. Um, I, I want to be real about a question that I feel like at different times in my life has haunted some of the dark corners of my faith. And that question is this. How do I know that I am saved? How do I know that I am saved? In reg- and with regards to the series that we're currently in, when 1 John, prove it. More specifically, what is the proof or the evidence of my salvation? Because when we look at some of those paintings, like the story we just talked about, you can authenticate and find out whether those are genuine by tracking down a history of the owners, by doing forensic evidence, by even talking to the experts. But when it comes to our salvation in Jesus... How can I authenticate that it is genuine? How can I know that my salvation is either priceless or worthless? And so that is the question we want to discuss this morning from the book of 1 John. But as I'm standing here and I'm confessing that sometimes I wonder how I know that I'm saved, I would bet that there are those in this room who would be able to say there have been times when you've had anxiety or you've experienced doubt with your assurance of salvation. When you've wondered, how do I know that I am saved? And there are just some things in life that are, you want to be pretty sure about. And eternal salvation is one of those issues. It reminds me of the Tracy Morgan commercial for the uh, rocket. Have you guys seen that one? Where there's this family that walks into a home, and they're looking at this home, and some of the family says, can we afford this home? And the husband generally responds, I'm pretty sure we can. And then Tracy Morgan appears out of nowhere and says, pretty sure you want to be certain. And then it goes into all these different examples of where pretty sure isn't a very good thing to be. He goes into example of skydiving. And he says, he pushes the guy out of the plane. He says, I'm pretty sure that's a parachute. They encounter a grizzly bear. And he says, I'm pretty sure that you shouldn't run. And takes off and runs the other way. There's an issue, there's a, one scene where they're, my favorite one, they're walking out of the movie theater, Dave Bautista, who is a hulk of a man, is walking out in front of them, and he says, I'm pretty sure you could take Dave Bautista. <laughs> and the, uh, the commercial always concludes the same way. 
that pretty sure isn't sure enough. Certain is better. And that is true of our salvation. When it comes to whether or not we are certain of our salvation, that is one of those things that you don't want to be pretty sure about. You want to be certain that you have committed your life to Christ and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die and stand before God, that he's going to say, welcome, my good and faithful servant. And so, church, why it is normal for us at different times to have questions and anxiety at times about the certainty of our salvation, not every believer encounters doubt for the same reasons. We all experience this anxiety from different places. Sometimes we experience anxiety and doubt with regards to our salvation because of sin. Because of sin. And that goes one of two ways, as I found it as a pastor. Sin can cause us to feel like we're not worthy of being saved. There's things that we've done in our life where we feel like I've messed up too much I've done too many things wrong, and there is no way that God could forgive me, and there's no way then that I could have assurance of my salvation. And so we wrestle in anxiety and doubt because of some of our mistakes and failures in life. But then there's another side of sin, unrepentant sin in the life of a believer. And the Bible talks about this. It says that when, when we have unrepentant sin, when we willfully choose to sin in our lives and walk directly against what God says is right, the Bible says that that grieves the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is the giver of the experience of assurance in our lives, when we grieve Him, we can temporarily lose that feeling of assurance. So sin is one of those things that can cause us to feel doubt. Another thing is spiritual laziness. Spiritual laziness can hold us back from being assured or certain of our salvation. We get lazy. We decide, man, it's Sunday morning. It's the kids are going back to school next week. I just want to sleep in, man. No judgment for those of you watching on Facebook. We, we feel lazy. We just want to um, stay out. We don't get in the Word. We're not fellowshipping with God. We're not hanging out with other believers, and that can lead to a feeling of uncertainty in our salvation. Sometimes Satan or the devil, who is the very real accuser of our souls, accuses us or places doubt in our mind about whether or not we are saved. For others here, perhaps you've encountered a difficult situation or a hard time in your life, and you've wondered or doubted about your relationship with Jesus because you've encountered this difficulty in your uh, life. At other times, perhaps it's our mental state or physical state of being, right? We've been working 80 hours a week, and I just don't feel like I'm saved. I'm fighting with my wife all the time, and it just doesn't feel like I'm saved. I haven't been to the gym in a week, and I feel terrible. It doesn't feel like I'm saved. I ate Taco Bell last night, and it really doesn't feel like I'm saved. feels like something else. Sometimes we feel a lack of assurance or certainty in our salvation, not because of any sin, but there are times that the Bible talks about where God will actually withdraw his presence from our conscience and so doing withdraw some of the assurance from us so that we as believers will push further in towards him to walk by faith and not by feeling or sight. And so whatever the reason is, 
If you're sitting here this morning like me, and you said either there has been a time or there is a time right now in your life where you're wrestling with some insecurity or anxiousness about your salvation, can I tell you you're not a bad Christian? You're not a bad Christian. That doesn't make you a failure in your Christianity. In fact, I would suggest this morning that anxiety or perhaps even some um, doubt at times is normal in our Christian experience. And I would say this morning that even more so, if you've never thought of it this way, doubt can actually be a good thing spiritually for us. Because as we reveal that we have this concern in our hearts for our eternal souls, it reveals that we are concerned unlike those who have a relationship with Jesus. 2 Peter 1.10 says it this way, that we are to confirm our calling and our election. People who don't have a relationship with Jesus aren't concerned about the eternal state of their souls. Oftentimes, people who are walking away from Jesus will find their security in other things. They will look at other places. They don't worry themselves about the state of their soul. But if you're sitting here and you say, I've made a profession in Christ, I believe in Jesus, but I'm struggling with anxiety, the very fact that you are struggling with that anxiety should be a clue that there is a wrestling going on inside of your spirit of something deeper that God is doing in your heart. So this morning, church, if you're sitting there saying, man, I I do wrestle with anxiety from time, it's okay. In fact, I would say this morning that the book of 1 John gives us reason to have good hope and encouragement in the midst of our anxiety and questioning. And that we can know from John's writing in the book of 1 John that we are certainly 100%, without a doubt, genuinely saved and authentically brought before the Lord in our salvation. So let's turn together to the book of 1 John, or if you have your song sheet with you, and let's explore what the Bible has to say about this very important matter of faith. Before we read that verse, let me just share this with you, is that as you go through this, you can start to be looking out as we read this scripture. John is going to present us with three things In this verse, he's going to present us with a truth about God and our salvation. He's going to answer the question, how do I know that I am saved? And then he's going to show us how we can know that with certainty. So be on the lookout as we read this. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 reads, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, meaning Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. For whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Did you catch the truth that John is sharing in that scripture? It's not explicit, but it's implied. John is saying in the fact that we can know that we know him, that we serve a God as Christ followers who wants to be known by us. We serve a God who desires that we are known by him. And just think about that for a second. If God, the creator of the heavens and the, the earth, wanted to be some kind of hermit deity, farthest reaches of space unbeknownst to man, he's God. He could do that. If God did not desire to be known by us, he wouldn't be. 
He is in control of that. But we see just John implying from this verse that God desires that we know him. And that is what Christianity is all about. You see, Christianity is not about knowing about God. It's not about knowing specific theology or doctrine. And it's not even about moral precepts that we follow. And if you've come up in the church and you've believed at any point that that's what Christianity amounts to, having knowledge about God or doing things or living a good life, you've been sold a false brand of Christianity. Because Christianity at its core is about knowing God personally through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. At its heart, Christianity is about knowing God through the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, church, it stands to reason this morning, then, that if knowing God is at the heart of Christianity and God desires that we know him, if you don't know Jesus or you don't know God personally through relationship with Jesus, then you're not a Christian. If you don't know God through relationship with Christ, but you claim you know him, you're not a Christian. And all, a lot hinges on this word know in the book of 1 John. A lot hinges on that word. What does it mean to know God? And there is a vast difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone personally. Now, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I'm an avid Denver Broncos fan. I may know a lot about the great Peyton Manning. I watched him for years on TV. I listened to sports talk in Denver. I watched him as a Colts quarterback beat my Broncos, and then as a Broncos quarterback beat the Colts. But the truth is this. It doesn't matter how many sports radio shows that I listen to. It doesn't matter how many games of Peyton Manning I've watched. All I know is about that man. I don't know him personally. I've never had the chance to sit with Peyton Manning. I've never had the opportunity to hang out with him in his beautiful giant forehead. But Peyton Manning, I, I don't know him, and that is this, what is true of our relationship with God as well. It's one thing to say that I have a knowledge about who God is, but it is something entirely different to personally know God through relationship with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul in the Scripture is a beautiful example of this. You see, the Apostle Paul, for those who maybe don't know, he started out as a rabbi in the Jewish tradition of faith. And the Apostle Paul was just not some normal rabbi. This dude was an all-star. He was a rock star in the Jewish faith because the Apostle Paul had grown up learning the Hebrew Scriptures, memorizing them front to back from the very beginning of his, as a child. And he says in, in uh, the Bible that when it came to keeping the Jewish laws and all the different ceremonies and all the different rituals and rites, he says this, I was blameless. If there was anybody in the history of the world who had a knowledge about God, it was this man. 
He could run circles around me. He could run circles around Pastor Jason when it came to his knowledge about God. And yet Paul makes an important distinction in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to what he says with regards to his knowledge about God. He says, How all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And listen to this. I count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul, who knew so much about God, had been raised as a young man to have this head knowledge about who God was, ultimately looked at all of that knowledge about God and said, compared to the value of personally knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that is trash. Because nothing compares to the treasure and the value of knowing my Lord. And so my first question this morning is, is we understand that we serve a God who wants to be known. For you this morning, church, is this. Do you know God personally through a relationship with Jesus? Have you prayed a prayer of confession to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? Because if you haven't, that is the foundation piece of where you start. You cannot have assurance of salvation unless you start with professing faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see in 1 John that God wants to be known. But John doesn't stop there. John doesn't stop with that, thankfully. And he's going to answer the question now of how we know that we can be saved. Now, you may not know this about me, but I'm a bit of a technology geek. I love gadgets. I watch the Apple press conference every year. I watch E3, all these different things, and I just sit there and drool over all these really expensive gadgets that I can't afford. Because, you know, as a pastor, uh, my taste in gadgets far exceeds my actual budget to purchase them. And so the truth is, when I see some of these things that I really want, I can't buy them right away or I have to save up for a while to get them. And so when the Apple Watch originally came out, I recognized quickly that I couldn't afford to buy an Apple Watch. And so I started scheming in my mind. My friends started showing up with these Apple Watches around. I'm like, how can I get my hands on an Apple Watch? And so I went to this website called AliExpress. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody heard of AliExpress? Okay, a couple. So AliExpress is kind of a knockoff website. It's where you can go and find all kinds of uh, almost genuine merchandise. And so I went out there to try and find an Apple Watch. And I found an Apple-like watch, but it wasn't an Apple Watch. And it was only $38. I thought, my goodness, I can put this thing on my wrist and look like I have an Apple Watch when I walk around. But it wasn't an Apple Watch. It couldn't do what an Apple Watch did. And so if something is not genuine and cannot do what the genuine thing does, then it is not genuine in and of itself. And the same is true of our salvation. That is the point that Paul is making here. We are not saved, church, by our obedience. Paul is, or John is clear that nobody apart from Jesus has ever lived a life of obedience that is acceptable to God except Jesus Christ. 
And so it is not by our obedience that we are saved. It is by his obedience that we receive salvation in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for us. But genuine faith, catch this church, genuine faith, though we receive that as the free gift of God, is always will always result in obedience to the Father. Genuine faith and salvation, genuine acceptance of Jesus and profession of Jesus as Lord will always result in obedience in our lives. And so John is saying for us, how do you know that you are saved? He's saying the test that you can submit your salvation to is obedience to God's commands. Do you obey what the master says? Look what John says in verse 4. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Ouch, John. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete in him. So at first glance, when we hear John prescribe this test, it can be shocking. It can shock our systems when we hear that the true test of authentic salvation is obedience to God. And yet that is exactly what John is saying, is that if you have had a genuine conversion to Christ, then you will obey his commands. And if your faith or your life looks different than that, you're wearing a fake Apple watch. It's a knockoff. It's not genuine. It's not real. And and John, in sharing this with the church, you have to know some of the background that was going on at that time. There were people in the church of John's day who had walked away from their faith and had begun to profess the fact that Jesus was the source of a secret knowledge that once they died, he could impart to them so that they would have a free and clear pass into heaven regardless of how they lived their lives on earth. Sounds something like the church in some places today? That there is this belief that because I prayed a prayer, it doesn't matter how I live the rest of my life, I am saved. I've got fire insurance. That when I stand before Jesus in the throne of God and he asks, why should I let you into my heaven, I can slap on the table and say, I prayed a prayer. But my life did not reflect the fact that there was actually genuine conversion. And guys, it's very easy today to be tempted to follow religious or even philosophical views and systems that don't make much of a demand on our lives. It's tempting. All you have to do is turn on the news for any amount of time. Get on social media and listen to an influencer. And it's very easy to quickly hear that we live in a day and an age that is not so different from what was being taught in John's day. We live in a time where we don't say, follow God, we say, follow me. Don't obey God's commands, obey what I want. What makes me feel good? What is truth to me is what is true. But it's interesting. Compare what those people were saying in John's day, even compare that to what we hear in popular culture today against the, what Christianity teaches. Because Christianity requires an obedience to a holy God who gives commands that we don't always understand or agree with. Church, hear what I said. 
We serve a holy God who gives commands that we don't always agree with or understand. But do not make a mistake. These are commands. Jesus is not a therapist who sits on the, in the sky and says, these are things I suggest you try for your life, and if they work out, go ahead and buy the package. He is not a self-help guru. Jesus and our Christian faith is not a buffet. Or as Pastor Jason says, a buffet. Um, he's not a buffet. You can't approach Jesus in your Christian faith and say, Jesus, I like some of this, but I don't want any of that. Jesus, I submit my life in this area, but this area, I'm keeping for me. God issues us commands as a general to his faithful soldiers that we are supposed to follow. I love how author and speaker Stormy Ortman put it. She said, trust that God has your best interest in mind and be willing to do what he asks, even if you don't understand why. Because obedience starts with having a heart that says yes to God. Obedience starts with having a heart that says yes to God. Now, when we hear this idea is that our salvation is proven through our obedience, it's immediately easy for our minds as Christ followers to go to this idea of perfection. Well, you must be saying then, or John must be saying, Pastor, that I have to live a perfect life if I'm going to have assurance or be assured of my salvation. But that's not what John is talking about here. John is not talking about a perfection. Because as we've already studied a few weeks ago, it's clear that nobody has ever lived a perfect life save for the Savior that we call Jesus. That's why John, a few verses earlier in 1 John, wrote this. He says, if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John, in this verse, is not targeting those who say, I want to obey Christ, but at times fail. John is talking to those people who would say, I profess that I claim I have a relationship with Jesus, and yet they walk around and go the opposite direction to what he commands. There are those that profess, I know him, but their life and their actions routinely and continually demonstrate something that is very different. That is who John is addressing here. That is the false teaching that he's talking to. And he's saying that if we are truly saved and received a genuine salvation, then we will obey God even when it's difficult. We simply obey God because God is God. And if there is anybody who knows what is best for my life, it's him. It would be like me walking into the Ford Motor Factory and telling the mechanics, hey, I know how to best assemble that car. Wouldn't work. I don't have the blueprints. I didn't make the car. I'm terrible at engineering. The wheels would on the ceiling. It wouldn't look like a truck. But yet, that's the same way that oftentimes we approach God in obedience to him. We say, God, I know what's best. Let me tell you how I should live my life. But John says, no. Obedience is saying yes to God, even when we don't understand or doesn't make sense, because God is God. And so keeping God's command.
repentance is the key piece of evidence that we have genuinely received salvation. And so John gets to this point now where he's addressed two things. He said that we serve a God that wants us to know him, and then he said that with certainty we can know by our obedience that we are saved. And so now John's going to move to the final key piece of this puzzle. He's going to tell us how we can walk in that obedience. So look in verse 6. It says this, This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So, let me get this straight, Pastor. You're saying all I have to do to live in obedience is be like Jesus. Thanks a lot. Sounds super easy. But the key to this verse is the word or the term that John uses, in him. In other translations, it says abiding in Christ. And this is one of John's favorite terms as you read through his epistles. You see it over and over again, either in him or abiding in Christ. And that term means this. It means a close or intimate relationship with the Lord. It's not a knowledge about him. It's a personal relationship with the master and knowing who he is. And I believe as John is penning this verse to these churches in Ephesus, he's thinking back on the words of Jesus in the upper room. Those words that he shared with his apostles and his disciples where he ascended into heaven. Because there Jesus said this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless you abide in the vine. So neither can you unless you what? Abide in me. Church, you can't follow obedience on your own strength. You can't walk like Jesus walked on your own strength. That's why John is saying it requires that close, personal, and intimate relationship with him. It's only as we walk closely with Jesus that we receive the power and the gifting to be able to walk as he walked. And so in our text, when John says, in Christ, he's referring to that close relationship that is needed to walk as he walked. And this means then that Jesus is the supreme example of how we are supposed to live our lives. If we look at the life of Christ, Christ routinely displayed that he was not dependent on himself, but dependent on who? The Father. He walked in dependence of the Father. And in fact, Jesus said in John 5.19, Truly, truly, I say unto you that the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the, these things the Son does in a like manner. And then he continued a few chapters later in John 8.29 to say, For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, for us here, I don't know that there's any one of us who could make that claim. I certainly can't. I can't say that everything that I do is what God wants me to do. There's only one who can make that claim, and that's Jesus. But if we claim to walk with him, if we claim to be in relationship with him, though we may not always be able to say that we always do what God wants us to do, the action of our lives should manifest that desire. 
the direction of our lives should show that we desire to do what the Father does. We should live not to please ourselves, but to please our Heavenly Father. And it's interesting that John chooses this metaphor, this idea of walk. Because walk is a metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses on several occasions to describe our Christian faith. And if you've ever thought about walking, walking's not a super exciting thing, is it? I mean, unless, unless you see somebody power walking, which is more funny than it is exciting, but it's at least got some movement to it. But walking's not exciting in the sense of running or sprinting, jumping or leaping. And yet, when it comes to our Christian faith, this is the term that John uses to describe how our direction of our lives is supposed to move. Walking is a steady, sure movement. It is a step-by-step process in a direction towards holiness and righteous and becoming more like our Savior Jesus. And so John is saying that in our faith, We are supposed to walk like Jesus. And so John answers the question, we serve a God who wants to be known. We can know with certainty and assurance that we are saved by whether or not we obey his commands. And we obey God's commands, church, by walking closely with our Savior. So this morning, if you've ever had anxiety or doubt in your Christian faith about whether or not you are saved, I challenge you to ask those questions. Have you started first with professing faith in Christ? If so, ask yourself, am I walking obediently or striving as a direction to make my life more and more like Jesus? If so, church, this morning you can know these three things. With assurance and certainty, as surely as I stand here, that you know God, that your God knows you, and you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.